This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. In the American League East, this is one of the most amazing divisions I've ever seen because you not only have five teams that are 500 or better, as you said, Jake, Boston is in last place with a 500 record, but usually when that happens, you don't really have a team that has a ridiculously good record, and you do. And I know the Yankees have struggled lately, and we started the show talking about their recent struggles. But when you have five teams that are 500 or better, plus one of them, a 654 winning percentage, this is one of the most impressive divisions I've ever seen in any sport. And, I, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And who thought the Orioles this far into the season would be four games over 500 on a four-game winning streak? And this is after they just traded Trey Mancini right. to the Astros. They kind of blew up their team a little bit after this unexpected start. But, yeah, it, I'm excited to see the Orioles do well. Maybe not so much the Jays, the Rays, and the Red Sox. But you're right. This division is definitely, I think, the best division in baseball. And it's going to be interesting to see down the stretch which of these teams gets hot. Because the Jays, although they're ten and a half back, if the Yankees played the Blue Jays in a seven-game series, I don't think any Yankee fan would feel too good the way they're playing as of late. I would agree with that, and uh, I brought that point up in the last hour. i got to be honest with you, and, and to, to go back to, to my opening comments of the show, I don't think you're feeling good about the Yankees in a playoff scenario right now, no matter who the opponent is, unless that opponent is the Minnesota Twins, the annual sacrificial lambs for the New York Yankees. But if you're talking about Houston, we just saw Seattle come into the Bronx and take two out of three. Toronto, Tampa Bay always gives the Yankees a hard time. I mean, outside of Minnesota, they're going to have to play at least one of those other teams in the playoffs, at least in the ALDS. And when you look at where the Yankees are right now, the top of their rotation, Garrett Cole has not produced a good start since the All-Star break. Three starts, they've all been subpar, and he's getting worse as he goes along. Now, Cole's had stretches like this before. His first year in pinstripes in 2020, and that's the year that most people tend to forget because it was a 60-game regular season. It didn't start until late July. There were no fans in the stands. People, the country, the world were dealing with much bigger issues than sitting down and watching the Yankees or watching a baseball game every single night. But Garrett Cole went through about a three- or four-start stretch that season in which he really struggled, but he straightened himself out by the end of that season and pitched okay in the playoffs. The thing you are worried about with Cole, he never seems to rise to the occasion when the spotlight is on him. He blends in very nicely, and he'll throw together six, seven, or eight really good, consistent starts bridging May to June or bridging August to September. But when he's in a playoff game, when he's pitching opening day, when he's already struggling and underneath the magnifying glass like he is right now, he never seems to rise to the occasion. And that is a very concerning thing as you're trying to project this team in what they will look like in the playoffs. The Yankees and the Mets right now, and by the way, the records are very, very close. The Yankees are 70 and 37. The Mets are 67 and 39. The Mets are two games behind the Yankees in the loss column, two and a half games behind them overall. I mean, it seemed like three weeks ago the Yankees were about eight games clear of the Mets in the standings. But the Mets have gone eight and two in their last 10. The Yankees have gone four and six in their last 10. And again, the Yankees are literally 
a 500 team over their last 42 games, 21 and 21 during that stretch. So if you look at the Yankees and you compare them to the Mets, we will have two playoff baseball teams in New York. The Mets are the classic case of peaking at the right time. The Mets are also the classic case of the team so much better equipped to make a deep run in October. And the Mets were always going to be that team, even if they didn't or don't hold on to the division lead over Atlanta. Now, that will help their cause immensely if they win the National League East. It makes their route so much easier, especially with the three wildcard teams this season. That's why today's doubleheader and the final three games of this weekend series at City Field is so important as the Mets and Braves get set to start game one of today's doubleheader. The Mets have a three-and-a-half game lead over Atlanta. David Peterson and Jake Odorizzi, the pitching matchup at City Field. Max Scherzer and Max Fried coming up later. But the Mets with Scherzer and with DeGrom at the top of their rotation. And by the way, it's pretty good after that also. Carlos Carrasco has been outstanding. Outside of last night, Taiwan Walker has been one of the better pitchers in the National League. Chris Bassett is a really good back-of-the-rotation pitcher. But it starts with the two guys at the top of the rotation. So the Mets, if you're comparing the two playoff teams we're going to have in New York, yeah, one team has had a better regular season. Yankees have a better record right now. The Yankees' run differential is ridiculous. The Yankees have a plus 205 run differential. The Mets have a plus 101 run differential. But all that is added up to is a two-and-a-half game advantage for the Yankees. And if you ask me right now, which team would you have more confidence in in the playoffs, there's no question for me right now it's the Mets. Now, is the Yankees lineup deeper? Yes. But... As we have seen watching especially the Yankees in recent years in the playoffs, good pitching beats good hitting in the postseason. That has happened to the Yankees time and time and time again. It happened to them in Houston in 2017. It happened to them against Boston in 2018. Happened to them against Houston in 2019. Happened to them against Tampa Bay in 2020. And last year was just one wild card game and Garrett Cole did not give them a chance to compete. The Mets have great pitching at the top of their rotation, and Scherzer and DeGrom, neither one of them right now, is the best pitcher on the Mets. The best pitcher on the Mets is the best pitcher in baseball, and he's the guy at the back of the bullpen in Edwin Diaz. And after four years of hosting these shows with Diaz in New York, I can't believe I just said that out loud into a microphone that Diaz is the best pitcher in baseball right now, but he is. I mean, he's been really good ever since his disastrous 2019. Again, 2020, he was good. Not a lot of people were paying attention. 2021, he was good. 2022, he has been the best pitcher in baseball. And I said about a month ago, and I stand by this, that look, with guys like Diaz, he was so bad in 2019. And it's hard to get that out of your mind with guys like Diaz or with guys like Garrett Cole, who has had recent spotty performances in the playoffs. You're never 100% sure that they're not going to revert to coming up small in a big spot until they actually do it. You know, we've never seen Diaz in a postseason game come out of the bullpen to close down a one. Oh, hello. 
to close down a one-run lead in the ninth inning. We haven't seen him do that. But let me just tell you, he has done everything but that. Subway Series against the Yankees, yeah, he did that. The other night against the Braves, you need six outs, yeah, he did that. He's done everything but that. He just hasn't been given the opportunity to do that. And I said until he actually does that in a postseason game, there's still going to be that little doubt in the back of my mind, but i got to be honest with you, that doubt is getting smaller by the day. He has been unbelievable this season, and it's not a fluke. You know, like I said earlier, with Clay Holmes, Clay Holmes was awesome in the first half of the season. First half of the season, statistically, he was actually the best closer in baseball. But you kind of always waited for that other shoe to drop. Diaz was a lights-out closer in Seattle. Diaz had more of a track record, and Diaz has electric stuff. Holmes figured something out, but Diaz is the guy with the electric stuff. Diaz is the guy who you have the most confidence in right now. So for the Mets... Scherzer, DeGrom, Diaz, Alonzo, Marte. They've got gamers. They've got gamers on this team. Lindor's been in big spots. Not my favorite guy. He's been there, though, and he's had a very good season, so you can't take that away. So there's no doubt the Mets are in better position than the Yankees right now. I don't care about the record. I don't care about the run differential. The Mets are in better position to make a run. All right, let's get some of your calls, some reaction on this at 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to Mitch in New Jersey. Mitch, how are you doing? Good. How's it going today? Good, thanks. You know, first, you know, you could have Aaron Judge, definitely MVP, and uh, Peter Alonzo. I don't know if that's ever happened, MVPs in the same city, you know, both New York teams. Um, but well, it's never happened because the Mets have never had an MVP. Jeez, I didn't know that. Nobody won MVP. Dallas Strawberry. Mets have never had an MVP. Nope. Okay. I answered that question. Well, I still think the National West has the best offense. You saw what San Diego did. They added uh, Juan Soto. They're going to get Tatis back. And my Dodgers are, you know, racking it up. They had their top three. And there was one way to catch it in. And I think Joey Gallo, they're going to fix him. That's going to turn to be a good trade. But thanks for taking my call. Thanks for the call, Mitch. Look, Gallo's going to give the Dodgers something. I'm fairly confident of that. Gallo hit 35 home runs last season. He was not a New York guy from the start. It just did not work. The pressure on him in Los Angeles is going to be minimal compared to what the expectations were for Gallo in New York. Now, comparing the National League West to the American League East, tricky. If you're Cutting it off after the top two teams, there's no question. I mean, that is such – and again, that's our Sunday night baseball matchup tomorrow night here on 98.7 ESPN New York. But the Dodgers and the Padres, especially in light of what the Padres did ahead of the trade deadline, there's not a better top two teams in a division in all of baseball. To be honest, the closest thing that you could get are the two teams on the same field in Queens right now, the Mets and the Braves in the National League East. But the reason why the American League East is such an anomaly – is because none of the five teams has a losing record. And usually when that happens, that's happened before, It, but when that happens, then usually the five teams are separated by like, you know, five or six games. They're all kind of like jumbled together and have similar records. It's very rare to have five teams, none with a losing record, and one of them, the Yankees, playing 654 baseball. 
the National League West doesn't have that. You got the Dodgers, you've got the Padres. The Giants have scuffled lately, but they're still a good team. They were the best regular season team in baseball last year. But what you have in the National League West is you've got the Diamondbacks, 11 games below 500, and you've got the Rockies, 15 games below 500. In the American League East, you know, they used to say the American League East is won by the team that plays the best against the Orioles because that's kind of easy money. You don't have those easy money games in the AL East anymore. In the National League West, you got 19 games against the Diamondbacks, and you got 19 games against the Colorado Rockies. Where's your break in the AL East? The Red Sox? Ask the Yankees if the Red Sox are a break. They're the last place team right now. That's why it's such an anomaly. I will take a break. Christy Ackert, who covers the Yankees from the New York Daily News, will join me at the bottom of the hour. Uh, get her thoughts on the recent struggles of the team. And I'd love to hear her thoughts on the Yankees' trade deadline moves, specifically the one that resulted in the Yankees facing Jordan Montgomery. I sold uh, Andrew Benatendi a little short earlier. I was only looking at his last six games where he's one for 17. He's actually two for 24 in eight games played. Got to New York, and his batting average was 320. And now for the season, it has dipped in just eight games. It has dipped from 320 to 305. So two for 24. Couldn't have asked for a worse start. The Yankees lineup right now, I mean, up and down the roster, as the Mets are in the bottom of the first inning at City Field after a scoreless top of the first. The Braves did get a couple of runners on. Jake Odorizzi making his first start for Atlanta, one of their big trade deadline acquisitions, making his first start for the Braves. David Peterson on the mound for the Mets. But the Yankees have so many holes for 18. That is 12 and a half games in first place. A former coach from a different professional sport mentioned to me this week that do not, do not, do not pay attention to the team's overall record. Yes, it's important for playoff positioning and playoff seeding, but as you're trying to project that team and what it could do in the postseason, look at how they're finishing the season because that's the team who they are right now. So for the Yankees, they're not right now the team that's 70 and 37 playing 654 baseball because most of that damage was done the first two months of the year. What are they doing right now? Well, the Yankees right now are 21 and 21, a 500 team over their last 42 games. 500 puts them in a conversation with the Boston Red Sox, the Cleveland Guardians, the Chicago White Sox. Those are the teams in Major League Baseball that are hovering around 500. And again, last night's game, and the Cardinals are like the Yankees in many, many ways. And that's why it's the national game of the week tonight. Yankees in St. Louis. Yankees have won the most uh, World Series championships. The Cardinals have won the most World Series championships among National League teams. There's just such a, when you see those two franchises on the same field, uh, especially in a setting like, St. Louis, Bush Stadium, um, the arch in the background, the, the look of the ballpark and the city skyline behind. I mean, everything last night, it seemed like a beautiful night, a hot night in St. Louis. It does kind of bring you back in time a little. It's a very marquee, very attractive matchup 
among two historic Major League Baseball teams than they have had. The Cardinals are probably historically the team most similar to the Yankees. The Yankees are the team that has forged a lot of its history on winning a game in which they were trailing 3-1 to one late in the innings, coming up with a big two-out, two-run base hit in the eighth inning to win the game. The Yankees have done that to teams for years. In the National League, the Cardinals are the team that has done that to teams for years. And they did it again to the Yankees last night. Last night, the Yankees had it done to them. The Yankees, the entire first half of this season, won that game, no matter what side they were on. If they were the team that was up 3-1 to one in the sixth inning, they hold on and win with their shutdown bullpen. If they were the team that was down 3-1 to one in the sixth inning, down 3-2 to two in the eighth inning, they were the team that was coming up with the big hit or forcing the other team to into a situation where they make the big mistake and allow the Yankees to take the lead and allow the Yankees to win the game. But last night was indicative of how these tables are turning. I do think for the Yankees, this is more than just a slump. I think this is more indicative of who this team is. I never felt in the first half of the year when the Yankees at one point in June, I think, at one point in June, the Yankees were on pace to win 118 games. 118 games. The all-time single-season record. I never thought they were that good. They played into a pretty decent amount of good luck in the first half of the season, and they had a lot of key performers elevate their games. Nestor Cortez, Jordan Montgomery, Jamison Tyone, Luis Severino, Michael King, Lucas Lidke, Clay Holmes, Aaron Judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Luis Trevino. I mean, all of these guys outperformed their expectations. It only stood to reason that a good number of those guys would, quote-unquote, come back to earth. Now, how far back to earth do they come? That's going to determine what this team is the remainder of the season. But there's still questions. There's questions in the outfield. I mean, who are you confident in in that outfield right now? And this is after the trade deadline. Who are you confident in beyond Aaron Judge? And the Yankees just made two trades to bring in outfielders. And right now, with Stanton on the IL, you are confident only in Aaron Judge. In the starting rotation, who are you confident in? Nestor Cortez? Okay, sure. But what's Cortez going to look like in October when he has thrown twice as many innings this season as he ever has in any of his professional seasons? These are all questions you have to ask yourself heading into the stretch run of the season. Christy Ackert covers the Yankees for the New York Daily News. Christy, thanks for giving us a couple minutes this afternoon. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. So you go back to July 18th, Yanks 49-16 and 16 at that point and cruising. Um, since then, 21-21. and 21. As you've watched these last 42 games unfold, what in your mind has been the biggest red flag or red flags that have contributed to that? Um, wow, that's a long time. Um, I would say, uh, um, you know, they've taken some hits in the bullpen. Um, you know, their pitching have, has taken some hits that it didn't have early on. I believe their bullpen really kind of got them off to a really good start. And then their starting pitching kind of taken over. And, um, 
I think it's kind of hit a wall, not a wall, but it's, it's started to have some bumps in it that have, you know, other teams have taken advantage of. You look at certain areas of the team, obviously, like you said, Christy, the starting pitching earlier in the season and the bullpen for that matter were kind of lights out. And now you are seeing some cracks in that area. And at the top of the rotation, I mean, obviously this is going to be a playoff team one way or another. Uh, and if you get to that position, you want your ace to pitch like that. And Garrett Cole uh, is not doing that right now. Three tough starts since the All-Star break. Um, you know, what is he saying and, and what appears to be the problem with him over this last month or so? He seems to be having issues uh, putting hitters away, really. Um, you know, he's uh, talked about finding p- the right pitch mix in the last outing. There's been um, issues with uh, getting a grip on the ball in Baltimore because it was so hot. There's been a lot of different things that he's pointed to that have been issues. Um, you know, I think he has a lot to prove. I mean, <clears throat> he is technically the ace of the staff, but he hasn't really pitched like one yet in terms of, you know, being a stopper. We'll try to get Christy Ackert back in a couple of moments here on 98.7 ESPN. New York covers the Yankees for the New York Daily News. Her point is a good one. I mean, Cole hasn't been that lockdown ace. He certainly hasn't been the lockdown ace that he is being paid to be with the highest at the time he signed it long-term contract ever for a starting pitcher. Uh, We're in year three of that nine-year contract for Garrett Cole. Um, 2020 had a lead, game five, deciding game, ALDS against Tampa Bay. Couldn't hold that. We know about the wild card performance last year as Christy rejoins us. So I was just going over... Uh, as we got you back, Christy, <laughs> that. that's okay. The, uh, you know, the trials and tribulations of Cole. I mean, this is year three, and, and it's it, it's more in my mind than just the recent struggles. I mean, last year we know about the wild card performance in Fenway Park, and even in 2020, the Yankees had a one nothing lead in that decisive game five, and uh, right. he only gave them five innings that night, left in a tie game one-to-one. So for the contract that he signed, the historic contract that he signed, you know, I look at guys like Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer. There's a lot of other guys in Major League Baseball that I'd feel more comfortable with throwing out in a big spot right now than Garrett Cole. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I don't – I've never seen a so-called ace of a staff react the way he reacts when he gives up home runs. Um, you know, I covered Jacob DeGrom for years. He would not throw his arms up in the air and, and wonder what's going on if somebody gave up a home run. He would – go out and attack the next hitter so i think he has a lot to prove and you know he's got the opportunity to do it down the stretch because right now they're going to start playing some very meaningful games with the astros on their tail for the best record in the american league how about um ben attendee's struggles to begin he's two for 24 it's only been eight games but i think a lot of yankee fans and people who follow this team are scarred by the Joey Gallo experiment that just ended. You know, I, th- I think a week is too quick of a time, but um, is he pressing? Is it just a bad week? What's your take on Ben Attendee's start here? You know, I, I he got a double last night, which was his first, you know, hit that went out of the infield as a Yankee. And you could almost see from the press box the relief in his shoulders. Um, yeah, I think he was pressing a little bit. I think he was still having really – 
you know, smart at bats. He was taking his walks when he was getting them. Um, I think, yeah, I think there's an adjustment period that you have to allow players to have when they get traded. It's kind of a tra- traumatic life experience, really. <clears throat> he came to New York thinking he was leaving. He came with one suitcase, and then he had to kind of go from there. So I, I think he's going to be fine. His bats look, you know, decent. <clears throat> it's not like he's struggling like we saw Gallo doing. I would give him a little more time. I think he's going to be fine. And, and I thought that trade made sense. I still do. Uh, adding the two relievers, we saw Efros last night and Trevino. Um, you know, we're still waiting to see Montas. The one that I, I still am scratching my head over, Christy, is the trade involving the guy who's pitching against them tonight in Jordan Montgomery. And, and we're not going to see the other side of that trade, Harrison Bader, until September, it sounds like. Were you surprised at that trade that the Yankees gave up Jordan Montgomery in that deal? Yeah. I mean, I guess I'm not surprised that it was Jordan Montgomery. I guess I'm surprised that you would give up an established big league pitcher when you gave up so much of your pitching depth in the minors. I mean, it's not like they have a lot of pitching left right now that can come up and make an impact. So one for one, that's fine. If, if you if you want to trade Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader in a vacuum, that's fine. But with, overall, with the, the trades they made, it just it honestly didn't make a lot of sense to me. Yeah, I, I, especially and, and now it's with Garrett Cole struggling lately, and and um, Jamison Tyone kind of reverting to uh, not what he was doing earlier this season. You know, moving it over to the bullpen, um, you know, Clay Holmes was lights out the first half of the year, probably the best relief pitcher in all of baseball. You know, last night, his most recent example. And after the game, Boone said, so do we kind of take the field today thinking that Aroldis Chapman is the closer again, or did he not go that far as to commit to that? Oh, no, 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 no. Um, no, I, I mean, I think he, they're building confidence in Chapman to use him in lesser um, leverage roles. I mean, he said he would have used him Friday night because that would have been the bottom of the lineup if they got through it. So <clears throat> I, I don't think he was – I don't think he's ready to put, put Chapman back in that role by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I do think that he might – I mean, originally, and, they, and a lot of teams say this at the beginning of the year, we're not going to have a closer. We're mm-hmm. going to use guys in the right lanes. I think he would like to get back to using Clay Holmes where, you know, he used him in the eighth inning last night where it's right-handers, tough right-handers in the lineup. Um, I, You know, you you did bring in Lou Trevino, who has closing experience. So I think you could see Holmes pitching in the eighth inning a little bit more going down the stretch. If it's the bottom of the lineup, maybe Chapman, maybe Trevino behind it, you know, behind Holmes. But I, I don't think a role this Chapman will close for this team again unless it's in, you know, meaningless games. Interesting, interesting. Um, when you look at the lineup, you know, Rizzo's in over the last month or so has been, you know, in and out at times. You know, what, what's the status of him and is that anything to, uh, to be concerned with long term? You know, I would be concerned about it because he told us when, you know, he missed four games earlier this year that it usually happens once a year, and now it's happened twice in a month. Um, You know, they're saying that it's not as bad as last time. Um, I guess I would be concerned that it just recurred. Um, You know, he's not 
a young man anymore in terms of baseball. He's, uh, you know, he's in his 30s. It's um, a back is a, is a very big thing to a hitter, especially a hitter who hits for power. So uh, it's definitely something to keep your eye on. Going back to the Bader trade, let's talk about the guy who the Yankees did get in exchange for Jordan Montgomery. When Bader returns, presumably sometime in September, what do you think his role is on the team? And would that be the end of Aaron Judge playing center field, at least as much as he has? I definitely think it's the end of him playing it as much as he has. I think he will, he will lobby for a few games here and there. But, I, you know, you don't go out and get Harrison Bader to just use him I guess, off the bench, in, you know, late games. So I, I think you'll see him, if he's healthy and if he can play, um, I think you'll see him starting every – not yeah, he's an everyday player, so he'll be starting every day, I would assume. Do you think Judge prefers to play center field? Is that your take? Oh, absolutely. He has more fun doing it. It's more – you know, he feels it's more a position of being in charge out there. He seems to have a lot of fun with it, and I, I think he really likes it. Interesting. He's really good at it, too. Uh, Christy Ackert, New York Daily News. I appreciate some time this afternoon. Enjoy your coverage, and uh, thanks a lot. No, you're welcome. Thank you. All right, anytime. Uh, Thanks a lot. Christy Ackert uh, covers the Yankees. Some thoughts on uh, their trade deadline moves. Uh, You know, I never thought of the judge thing. She's around the team every day. Um, So I asked her that last question. Does judge prefer playing center field? I mean, I've never asked judge that question. Judge since he has come to New York, has been the kind of guy who does whatever is asked of him to help the team. Um, I never thought of it from the perspective. Now, with that, he's obviously in the last year of his free agent, of of his contract before becoming a free agent, as we all know. So would that help him financially, hitting the open market as a center fielder with those types of numbers than as a right fielder? I think the answer to that is yes. So that probably plays into it a little bit as well but it was interesting that the metrics you know Aaron Hicks for all of his uh struggles at the plate really since he's come to New York and had trouble staying on the field and when he has been on the field hasn't been a highly productive player he always played really good defense but it's been interesting this year to look at the defensive metrics and realize that Aaron Judge is a better defensive center fielder, and now you're going to bring in Harrison Bader to fill that role. So the Bader move, to me, means a couple of things. Number one, I think they're looking to limit the amount of wear and tear on uh, Judge's legs. The reason why he likes it so much that Christy just said is that he gets to do more, more ground to cover. You're involved in more of the game, but that also leads to more stress on your legs and Aaron Judge has been an injury prone player throughout his career so that's number one and number two it just tells me that the Yankees don't feel that Hicks gives them the best chance to win in their starting lineup and Hicks had a really good July for most of July he had an OPS above 1000 but then he goes into an 0 for 25 skid right around the time that they trade for Harrison Bader when he comes back in September um, it's going to be interesting to see what the outfield configuration is by then, especially when John Carlos Stanton returns from his current stint on the injured list. All right, we'll take a break. Um, your calls as we continue, 1-800-919-3776. Some thoughts on the ESPN documentary, The Captain, 
which I've been watching along with many others in recent weeks. It's been enjoyable. Uh, it's been a fun trip down memory lane as someone who grew up a baseball fan at the time when all of that was happening. Uh, some observations on that when we come back here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. Hour plus to go. Ty Butler, my man, warming up in the bullpen. He'll take you from 3 until 6 p.m. right here. Uh, got Jake Montgomery, noted Yankee fan, producing the show along with Harvey Cruz. Jake, have you consumed much of The Captain, the seven-part series on Derek Jeter's life and career on ESPN? So I am five out of six in. So I've been a little busy, so I didn't catch the last two Thursday. I'm loving it so far. And I, I grew up, I'm a little bit younger than you, so I was like a young kid watching this team grow up. And they're the reason why I'm in sports. They're the reason why I love the Yankees. So to see the kind of behind the scenes, the inside look at Derek Jeter's life, it's been uh, really fascinating to watch so far. For, for me, it's been a fun trip down memory lane. Anytime I watch a documentary about something from the era in which I was growing up, I'm all in. Whether it's about a team that I rooted for at the time or not. And at the time, I was a Yankees fan. I grew up a very big Yankees fan. My father was. My son now is. And, uh, you know, when Jeter was a rookie and they won that World Series in 1996, I was a junior and a senior in high school. So that's a little bit of context there. Um, so obviously... Watched his whole career. Like I said, he was he was a rookie when I was a junior in high school. And then I covered, as a member of the media, the last six or seven years of his career. So this is a guy who, you know, my whole life is sports and my career is sports. And this is a guy who is a very, very prominent part uh, in my life. Uh, you know, a couple of observations from watching this. And I, I don't know... I, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say this, but as I'm watching the interviews with Derek Jeter discuss different... First of all, he has full control over the production of this. This is very similar to Man in the Arena, where it's a story about Tom Brady's career, but it is Tom Brady's version of his career. This is Derek Jeter's version of Derek Jeter's career. And when you become that big of an athlete or a celebrity like these two guys are, you have the power to do something like that. Just like Michael Jordan uh, with The Last Dance and that 10-part documentary. And I throw all three of those into the same category of it just brings me back to a time in my life when I was growing up as a sports fan. And whether I liked the subject or didn't like the subject, it just brings me back to a time in my life that makes me happy. So that's why I love to consume this type of stuff. But as I look at Jeter in, in present day, my overall takeaway so far of the first six parts that we've seen, Jake and everyone else listening, he's, he's a jerk. <laughs> well, I said this to you off air. He's a kind of a jerk while he smiles at you while being a jerk. So I don't know if necessarily he comes off as a jerk or confident or cocky or what it is, but to be fair, most of the stuff that he says about being a winner or being the best, like the facts kind of back it up. He is one of the best winners of all time. You mentioned, you know, Tom Brady 
and all these guys like Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, there's only a handful of people that are really the ultimate winner, and those are the guys that I kind of think of. And we see in this documentary, I'm not going to spoil too much, but that kind of caused some friction between him and Alex Rodriguez. A-Rod probably, not probably, he was the more talented player, but Jeter was this guy that got all of the accolades with winning. I've loved watching it, to your point, and I think it's just fascinating to see how much baseball has changed from that time as I was a kid to now as a 28-year-old watching. We celebrate when a starting pitcher goes, you know, five innings. Like, that's a great quality start. Seeing Al Leiter in the World Series going like 300 pitches or seeing Mariano Rivera in the Game 7 of 2003 ALCS go out for the ninth, the 10th, the 11th, and then when they told him they were taking him out, he's like, taking me out of what? I'm not leaving this game. It's just a different type of... I think mindset that a lot of baseball players have today. And Jeter is certainly someone that has a different mindset than most players that we've ever seen. Andy Pettit, game five of the 1996 World Series, went eight and two-thirds shutout innings. John Wetland came on to get the final out that Paul O'Neill ran down at the wall. But your point about Jeter is obviously a good one. He won five World Series championships. Um other than 2000, I don't know that, and, and I'm a, and this is more of a basketball thing, but I've got to be fair to athletes who I discuss and am critical of or praise their careers. You know, a big thing for me is, were you the best player on a championship team? And I know it's completely different in baseball, but if you look at Derek Jeter's career, tremendous, tremendous career. He was really only the best player on the team once in 2000, and that was the year he also won the World Series MVP. You know, baseball's a little different where the best player doesn't always win the MVP of the series. Unlike in the NBA, it happens like 95% of the time. But did Jeter win enough for the way that he carries himself right now? And, and, and the way, the, what, I'm, what I'm asking is this. Could he have won more? They win in 96, they win in 98, they win in 99, they win in 2000, they lose the World Series in 2003, and they blow the lead to the Red Sox in 2004. They also lost the World Series in 2001. And then until 2009, they didn't even get past the first round of the playoffs. Now, that was the A-Rod stretch. And a big part, and I don't know if it was episode five or episode six, a big part of that episode was the Jeter and A-Rod relationship. And as you're watching that, and I am not buying Derek Jeter's explanations after the fact on how A-Rod was treated. i got to be honest with you. For a guy like Derek Jeter, who his entire career has been called the ultimate team guy, the ultimate intangibles guy, only interested in winning, I think that being more welcoming of Alex Rodriguez during that whole stretch when he was struggling would have helped his team win more. So from that perspective, I think Jeter being a jerk in those moments and then not showing any remorse or taking any responsibility for his behavior back then in present day, I think negatively impacted the team. Alex Rodriguez was a better player than Derek Jeter. Jeter had a problem with him being on this team for a couple of reasons. Number one, the article from when they were very earlier in their career, the Esquire article where A-Rod said that Jeter doesn't have to lead. He's not the focal point of the offense. By the way, 
all true statements. Stupid to say in public about anybody, number one, but number two, about a guy who's supposedly a very good friend. So I understand Jeter being steamed at that. But let's fast forward to 2004. A-Rod is now on the team. Okay? So does your team have a better chance of winning if A-Rod is comfortable and able to play to his peak performance? Or does your team have a better chance of winning if you don't make any effort to cut down the tension in the dugout and it's awkward for several years? And I think as you watch that, there was an opportunity after opportunity after opportunity for Derek Jeter to do that, and he didn't. Which leads me to this question. What was most important to Derek Jeter at that point in his career? Was it most important for him to win World Series championships? Because that's all we've ever been told about Derek Jeter. Jeter is all about winning. A-Rod is all about A-Rod. I'm watching episodes five and six, and how he handled the whole A-Rod situation. And it wasn't just with A-Rod. It was with Brian Cashman and others. I'm watching these episodes, and I'm coming to the conclusion that being Derek Jeter was more important at that point to Derek Jeter than winning World Series championships, which goes opposite to everything we have been taught to believe about Derek Jeter. We've got to take a break. I've got more thoughts on this. Quick update from Queens. Mets have two runners on, two outs, bottom of the second, leading 2-0 over the Braves. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. We'll open back up the phone lines, 1-800-919-3776. But I got some serious, serious reservations about Derek Jeter after watching this documentary. And this is a guy, I quoted Derek Jeter in my senior yearbook, okay? So I come from the Jeter school. And I'm watching him now with this varnished take on his career. And I'm not looking at this guy the same way. 